The Athletic. The Race F1 Tech Show. Brought to you by Aramco. Aston Martin's stellar start to the season. Why the field is getting closer in the second year of F1's new rules. And Red Bull's suspension excellence. All that and more in the first episode of a new series of The Race F1 Tech Show. Welcome back to a new series of the Race F1 Tech Show brought to you by Aramco. We're back to bring you your regular dose of tech chat and interviews every other week, and the timing couldn't be better given the F1 season has just kicked off. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me is the star of the show, former Jordan Stewart and Jaguar F1 Technical Director, Gary Anderson. Hello, Gary, another season's underway. I make this your 51st year in and around F1 since your first Grand Prix working for Brabham back in 1973. How time flies? Yeah, how time flies, yeah. Um, A few grey hairs since then, but yeah, something like that. I've stopped counting now, to be honest. just doesn't seem worth worth bothering. It's like age. It's a number, but what what is it? I don't know. But yeah, it's good to see it up and running. I mean, it's um, it's nice to see the first race. The race itself was a little bit tame, I suppose you might call it, but the suspense was still there of seeing how uh, everything unfolded. So um, the excitement of a, of a straightforward race, um, as I say, wasn't quite there. But still, now we have got a feeling of where people really have landed, and now it's up to them to make sure that they can um, develop from there. Yeah, and I don't think people should be too quick to condemn the season. Yes, Red Bull clearly has the strongest car and look like they've got a healthy margin, but Bahrain's always one of those tracks where everyone's very contained in the race by the tyre degradation management. If you go through and look at all the drivers, the race pace was quite similar for a lot of teammates simply because they were just on that tyre management programme. So I don't know whether Bahrain should be taken as gospel in terms of what the season's going to be. Yeah, I think if you just want a sort of visual look at that, at what was happening during the race, if you look at Lando Norris, you know, he was he was chasing the leaders there and stuck in the back of them. He'd been lapped, um, but he wasn't getting dropped by the leaders. You know, he, he obviously they had their problems during the weekend. And again, he had an air valve system problem, which, you know, during the race, which wouldn't have cut any performance. They just needed to manage it and refill the air system um, every time it went too low. So... He was a good yardstick as to what you're saying, the fact that, you know, everybody does sort of more or less drive at the same pace because of the way they have to look after the tyres, especially with that uh, aggressive surface. But it's, um, you know, it's early days. Yeah, we keep saying it's early days, but it is early days. I think you need four or five races before you really get a picture of who can raise the game whenever they have to. Well, our main topic on this podcast is going to be the remarkable rise of Aston Martin and F1. They were the big story of Bahrain. But before we get on to that, first, we're going to let Gary have his pick of the topic. So what's been on your mind during the opening Grand Prix weekend of the season? Well, I think my thing is really the new regulations that came in for 2022. Um, they were, you know, sweeping changes, I suppose you could call it aerodynamically. Well, nearly everything wise, as far as the car was concerned, the cars look look very different. Um Personally, from a visual point of view, I think they do look quite like a racing car. They are big, so we have to accept that. Um, you know, if you scale them down by 10%, it might not do any harm. But do the regulations work? Now the teams have got their head around where they were in 2022 and have, you know, recovered it for 2023 or rebuilt the car for 2023, redesigned the car for 2023. Um, I, think, I think probably they do. Um, we are seeing the field closing up. You know, we, we, again, it's early days to, to sort of put a number to it, but it does look like the grid could be, you know, within that 2%, which means that it's um, 0.1 of a percent 
car to car down through the grid, and that's quite close. You know, whenever you look at it, yeah, I don't know, ten years ago, you were talking about, um, you know, four seconds, five seconds probably of a, of a grid gap, and in reality, that's what the hundred and seven percent rule was put in for because there were cars outside of that seven percent just because they weren't quick enough. So it has closed it up a little bit. Um, is the racing better? Um, I think you know the, the one thing that sort of clouds that this, that uh, opinion, I suppose, is DRS because it's always going to be one of those things where it will bring racing together to and allow people to overtake other cars, as we saw at the weekend. And I don't think it's right. I think we need to run a race without DRS and let the drivers get on with it and see what they can do. You know, it, it means you can't, you couldn't really drive then. You know, within the tire, you'd have to drive flat out. You'd have to hope that you can make the right decisions on overtaking on the pace that you do drive at. And it would also influence strategy because you would be you would be abusing the tires even more, but when you needed to. So the clever driver would have to sort of hang back, save his tires, and then have one big big rush at it. And that's what you used to see whenever you had the Mansells and PKs and you know Senna's and that. They would they'd hold back, you know, away, away from another car for a little while just to get the get an idea whether the other guy was quick or slow and then they'd have a big go at it you know and just full full commitment for a couple of laps to um to overtake somebody i'd love to see that happen again because as i say to my in my book the drs is uh, artificial it doesn't breed for better racing drivers it just breeds for for cars to be able to overtake each other if they're on a different strategy let's say so uh, and with ease and that's not really what racing should be about and in terms of the performance spread, as you say, just under 2%, I think, covered the whole field, which is a chunk down from last year. I think the closest the whole field's been in recent years, 2009, it was about 1.4% from front to back. That was particularly close, oddly, in the first year of a new rules cycle, but there were some reasons for that. But do you think we'll see that continue to close up over the next couple of years before it all gets thrown out again with the 2026 rule changes, which aren't just going to be car-based, but are going to, aren't just going to be engine-based, but are going to be car-based too? Well, the thing I think we've got to take into account is the fact that you know the pre-season testing was all done in Bahrain a week before the race, so everybody had a reasonable grasp as to how the car should be set up for Bahrain. They went through all that stuff of um, you know the, the the cooler track in the evenings and you know the heat during the day and got the offsets for the you know, wing settings or ride heights or whatever. So I think Bahrain has a, can be a little bit sort of difficult to put make an assessment on because it, they should be close you know they'll never have as much running at a racetrack again um over a over a certain term to get the best out of their car however that that said with a sort of pinch of salt they are that as new cars they are all still learning about it and getting the best out of it and we haven't seen that yet so i think we, we should see the the, the 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 teams closing up you know it's the same old deal as i always classify it as like, like climbing a ladder when you're on the top step, you haven't got very far to go. Uh, when you're on the bottom step, you've got a long way to go. So the teams at the back should have more scope to move forward, and they do have more wind tunnel time now. And with the the budget cap, it should mean that the the, the teams at the top, who are you know the well financed teams, you know just can't spend money and run away. So I, I think we should over the next couple of years see the field closing up that bit more, um, which would be good because it's lovely to go into a Saturday or a a Sunday and not really know who's going to come out, um, you know, on top. And I don't mean on top by being winning the race, but I mean on top as far as competition is concerned and actually doing a very, very good job. Yeah, and it was certainly pretty close, certainly behind Red Bull, that qualifying session 
was was pretty exciting. There were multiple cars that could have got into Q3, but that didn't. So encouraging from that perspective. And just in terms of the general principle of car convergence, we're seeing some convergence, aren't we? There's probably about seven cars that are roughly in that Red Bull direction in uh, one way, shape or form. Then you've sort of got the Ferrari Haas approach and then Mercedes with its little in-between strategy. So I suspect we'll see that convergence of pace going hand in hand with that convergence of car concept over the coming couple of years. Yeah, I think we will. Um, I mean, the thing you just got to be careful of because Red Bull aren't going to stand still. You know, they're going to be look at, looking at different ways of, of achieving uh, performance. And so you could see a switch with them as well. So let's not just put, you know, all our eggs in one basket. What, what you've got to say is that over the last 2020 season and into the 2023 season, you know, the Red Bull has been the most consistent package of performance, both in uh, qualifying and in the race. So the Ferrari hasn't been far behind it. Um, but it, it, it hasn't sort of been ahead of it. It's just not quite there. So at the end of the day, there are two very different concepts in the way they operate the car and the way they operate the airflow around the car. Um, but they, they are, I suppose you could say, they, they are trying to achieve the same thing. They are trying to make the underflow work well, that front corner, the underflow work harder. Um, one's got a longer sort of undercut tunnel as such. One's got a shorter undercut tunnel, but when you have that undercut tunnel at the at the front of the side pod, you then pick up airflow and you you uh, di- you know you you manoeuvre it or you displace it to where you want it to go to make the rest of the car work well, uh, and that's the thing that people are learning. You know the cars that we saw last year that had um, uh, well like a double floor, I suppose you might call it, where they had you know the Aston Martin started the season off with more of a double floor than most people. They all went away from it quite quickly, uh, as Williams did with the small side pods. So if you don't have that sort of ability to redirect the flow to where you want to use it, i.e. talking about Mercedes here, but just because you haven't got side pods in the car or very small side pods in the car, then at the end of the day, you've, um, you know, it's a tool out your toolbox. Because you, if, you can't, if you can't redirect the flow, you can't redirect the flow. If you can't make other things work better by redirecting that flow, then you're losing out. So I think, I'm pretty sure if you took a Mercedes at a stationary ride height, it produces you know good good high levels of downforce. The problem is the car doesn't stay at a stationary ride height; it moves around a bit. So you know it's driver friendly ride height you need to try and achieve. You need to let the car move around a bit and make sure the downforce, the balance, and the downforce is always there for the driver to exploit it to the maximum. So I think we will see a bit more convergence towards the Red Bull uh, philosophy over this season. But again, it's the budget cap. It's going to hurt everybody, I think, as far as how much you spend on that and how much you save up for the winter and then take the next step for next year. Um, So, yeah, time will tell. Aston Martin has shown that it's possible. You can look at a car and you can take information from it. And if you have the right people in your design office that has a bit of experience from that philosophy, then away you go. And just as a final point, as we have a quick overview of how this year started, we talked a lot about the porpoising problem last year. It does seem that that's pretty much consigned to history. Yes, the phenomenon's still possible to trigger, but everybody's got a decent understanding of it now, so it's not going to be the big talking point, I guess, going forward. No, it's not going to be the big talking point. I think it's 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 one of those sort of limitations, though. You you really, um, if you're if you're setting your car up, around accept, an acceptable level of porpoising, 
and you know how to do that, that's okay. But if if you do have poor posing, poor posing possible within your design of your car, then it's very easy to sort of slip out of that box and end up with it causing you a, a grief. So you need to be a little bit careful. I think, you know, again, it's easy to say that Red Bull understand it better than anybody else because they're winning at the moment and, and they could trip up tomorrow in the next race. They could be poor posing like mad. But at the end of the day, I think they do work the car quite well. They do produce the downforce at low and medium speeds from the underfloor of the car and they reju- they don't produce as much downforce at high speed when the porpoising would be a problem. So, that, you know, they, they've recognised the fact that the majority of corners on the track, they aren't flat out. They are medium speed corners. So if you can make your car work well at 200 kilometre corner, 220 kilometre corner, um, you'll, you'll gain lap time. Whereas the odd, the odd flat out 320 kilometre corner, there's so little time in it because you're there for so little time anyway. Um, it, you know, you just need to make, make sure you, you don't uh, compromise your whole lap just because they're trying to make the car good in a very fast corner. So, at the end of the day, as you say, porpoising seems to not be the N word at the moment, but it is just around the corner. So, you need to be careful with your development program that you don't start to introduce it again. Well, it's great to get a starting idea of where the cars are stacking up this year, but we'll keep track of it as the season progresses here on the Race F1 Tech Show. Well, it was the same old at the front in F1 in Bahrain with Max Verstappen leading home Sergio Perez. That Red Bull 1-2 was pretty straightforward, but that different look behind them with Fernando Alonso, third for Aston Martin. Not the first time we've seen an Aston Martin on the F1 podium, but it's the first time that it's done so completely on merit. So how impressed were you with the step forward this team's made? Well, it's massive. You know, the, the first thing I will say is that, um, you know, racing point as it was and now Aston Martin... Obviously, they, they you know they haven't been shy about looking at other cars and, and trying to do the best job they can around somebody else's concept. And this comes with a sort of another proviso that you know their their chief aerodynamist or technical director as he is now um, has come from Red Bull, albeit you know with a couple of years old experience, but he's come with the um, the uh, what you might call Adrian Newey philosophy on aerodynamics. And whether it doesn't matter what the regulations are as far as what the, the car looks like visually, the, the, the philosophy of the aerodynamics still carries through the same as to what the driver, what a certain team thinks the driver can use and what he can make best use of. So he comes with that knowledge, which is very important. You know, we saw back in 2020 when, uh, when Racing Point built what was classified then as the, the pink Mercedes, we saw that there was a complete change of philosophy. It was a flat car, a lot less rake on it than the car they had before, you know, very different. It was basically, you know, a, a, a um, cut and paste of a, of a Mercedes. And it worked well for them. It brought success with them. The problem was that for, for, for 2021, when the reg- regulations only changed subtly with the, the edges of the floor, um, they lost their way. And because they hadn't sort of, I suppose you might call it, created that car, they lost the way because they, you know, they didn't know why they had it. You know, you have to make decisions all the time as to, to where you go next with a given vehicle, with a given car. So that's the problem maybe that uh, Aston Martin could face in the, in the future, is the fact they've got a good car now. They brought that step of knowledge to Aston Martin from Red Bull, of the Adrian Newey aerodynamic producing philosophy, but that's all used up now. So they need to be a little bit careful where they go next because, you know, the, it, you still need to keep taking those steps because everybody else will be taking those steps. So 
I think it was fantastic to see them step up to, to where they, they've got to. I mean, it was great to see them. It was great to see Alonso passing Lewis Hamilton. I'm wrong on saying that. It's not great to see him passing Lewis Hamilton. But it was great to see them having a duel and through persistence getting getting past. And the same them with Carlos Sainz, you know. So it shows, I think, that they're, the car is good on the tyres. Normally that means the car is, is well balanced because it's, it's only a bad balance in the car that means you eat up one end of the the car's tires are the other end. So if the car's well balanced, it's driver friendly, you've got confidence in it, then you can drive it like Fernando Alonso was driving it, which was, again, with confidence. I mean, he was putting the car in places where they might have touched with other cars, but that touch was enough just to touch and not enough to damage, which is a very, very important thing, you know. So um, it's a, at, the mo- at this point in time, it's a very good car. It's a very confident car because, again, we saw... Lance Stroll, he he hadn't tested with the car at all, but he got into it and, you know, with, I'm sure, fairly painful wrists, you know, he was able to take that, that car to the checkered flag and, and score some solid points. Yeah, I thought it was a good determined and gritty performance from Lance Stroll. But as you said, it's very Red Bull inspired. Obviously, Dan Fallows came in as technical director. He understands the, the, the ideas that were underpinning that Red Bull direction. So that's probably helped the team optimise it a bit. But we don't generally see teams making this leap in one bound from in the midfield into that top group. And teams have copied other teams' concepts before. So that must speak pretty well for the team's understanding of what it's been able to do. That suggests to me that they're not only able to follow that direction, but refine it in a way that suggests their their sort of base understanding of things is pretty good. So I'm sort of gently encouraged about their potential in terms of ongoing development. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm encouraged as well. I don't see why they can't. Um, as, as I say, the big the big thing for me is to to make sure that um, there's still enough sort of armory in the toolbox to actually do something. Um, just you just need to make sure that you keep on pushing. And obviously, the new factory, the new facilities, the new wind tunnel, the, all that stuff when it comes on will make the company a slicker place. I've always questioned the fact if you grow too quickly, uh, you suddenly lose control of it. But what we're seeing now is they've grown very quickly with a very small organization as such. They've grown a lot of people there um, and they've actually made good use of it. So again, I don't think Lawrence Stroll is is shy about going about what he wants to, to happen to be successful and then standing behind it. I think part of that is 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 giving Dan Fallows the, the job as technical director. They've also got a couple of other people who come in from big teams, so they've got a lot of high-end input. And uh, underneath that, they've got a whole lot of very, very good guys that you know have been there from way back in the Jordan days even. Um, so you know, a little bit of direction has helped them a lot. A bit, a bit sad to see that Andrew Green has slipped sideways a little bit, but maybe that's okay. Andrew's been out a long time. He probably needs a, a, a little bit of a break from the pressure to uh, to you know allow him to re-energize a bit, I suppose you might call it. And he's still part of it all. So at the end of the day, um, you know, it's up to Dan Fallows now to direct the team and try and make sure it's going in the right direction and take that development path. And as you say, the you know the the philosophies that is come in with from Red Bull, you you won't be able to download them into a team in one hit. It will take time. So that I can I can see those philosophies continuing through um, at least this year and the new factory then and the new facility being much more efficient and helping them in the future so I, I think they're on a path now and I think that path you could see that path 
and it should it should continue in the right direction. You're listening to the Race F1 Tech Show, brought to you by Aramco. Aramco continuously push the limits of engineering excellence. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance and accelerate human potential. Aramco, powered by HAL. You were talking about Dan Fallows there. Obviously, he oversaw the car since its inception. He was head of aero at Red Bull, worked for a long time under Adrian Newey. He's been at Red Bull since 2006. Is he able to be Aston Martin's Newey? Well, I think obviously there's there's very few Adrian Newey's. You know, let's you know look back at it a little bit. The success he's he's had over the years with um, you know even the Leighton House project, then you know Williams, then McLaren, and then the Red Bull. Uh, package. Um, I, I don't think there's another replacement, Adrian Newey, out there just at this point in time. It'll take time to prove yourself. You know, one quick flash in the pan's not there. Um, it's one of those sort of situations. I think we need to, you know, you need to do it for a few years and get your own uh, your own confidence built up within your own company. But I think as f- as far as you know, leading the ship is concerned, he seems to be able to do that quite well. You know, you you can you can look at it two ways. You can step back to Mercedes and you can say that, you know, up 2014 onwards with whatever they had there as technical director, because it changed a few times up to 2020, you know, um, they seemed, they were just a dominant force. They just seemed to be on top of everything and they're not anymore. So at the end of the day, you know, it can, you can trip up very, very quickly as well. So you just got to make sure that you, now get to a point where you you breed the company in the direction you want to breed it and you you make sure that it's if it's going in the right direction you understand why it's going in the right right direction and if it's going in the wrong direction you change direction so for Dan Fallows he just needs to make sure that he's he's now not working at Red Bull he now has no more input from there than uh, than what he's going to get from the Aston Martin he's got to, they've got to stand their own two feet and take it from there as a group as a company so that's uh, that's the big challenge is making sure that you you know you you really can get on top of it and, and do your own thinking. Um, I'm sure he can, but I wouldn't jump in and say he's the next Adrian Newey um, that we're going to see just yet. There's a there's a few more years to go before we see that that mantle being cast aside. I think. Obviously, this team's invested a lot. They've recruited a lot of people, but there's still a lot of things to come. They're not moving into their new factory until, I think it was May, they were intending to, mostly to June or whatever, but it's it's almost ready to go. The new wind tunnel is being built. That'll be up and running next year. So it does feel a bit ahead of schedule for them, almost. Do you agree with that? Or you're always quite uh, quite aggressive in terms of what you think the smaller teams should be aiming to achieve. So f- for you, is this kind of on schedule rather than ahead of it? Well, I think it's certainly on schedule. I think that's, you know, where the, where the team stands right now is not a bad place to be because they have the, you know, you can see it in the spirit of the team, I think, in, uh, in Bahrain. They, they had a car that was, that was good. It tested well. They have Alonso in the car. Um, you know, you, you can't doubt his, his aggression to driving something. He, he knows what he wants and he'll, he'll, he'll say it. And, the team, I think, were willing are willing to listen to him and try to redirect themselves and that's and that put themselves in that position. The whole race weekend went 
very, very well. You know, qualifying fifths with two Red Bulls and two Ferraris in front of you and two Mercedes behind you is a massive motivation. But then the race, they ran the race well. You know, the car was good in the tyres. They did the right sort of pit stop strategy. They did everything very well. Um, Alonso caught Hamilton, caught Sainz, overtook him. You know, the team ran it efficiently like it has done in the past. It has been a good little team sort of boxing above its weight. Now, we need to, need to make sure that it doesn't lose that good little team when it gets to the big new factory. You know, all the glitz and glamour will be there. But will it lose its, its sort of little connection? And I think right now it's probably at the, the best of that good little team, plus the fact they've got a few more people in there. So it's at a, a nice little unit at the moment. They're all, they're all fairly confined together. They're all able to communicate. Um, you know, it's all happening at the right time for them. And I think I wouldn't say that it's earlier than it should have been. Obviously, we've got a podium at the end of the day there. Will, how many times will that happen this year? You know, we know that that podium came through uh, Leclerc having a problem with his, his engine. Um, but it also came because they had a better car than, you know, Mercedes, who who really, sh- you know, all the best will in the world should not be behind Aston Martin, except for they're just being very stubborn about, about what they've got. They, they, you know, they should not be behind it. Now, they were in qualifying, they were nip and tuck. You know, they were very, very close as far as that was concerned. So you could very easily race to race be Mercedes before Aston Martin or Aston Martin before Mercedes. But at the moment, I'd say Mercedes will come back and give them a, a fight and cha- challenge. So they just need to take out of it what they can at every race meeting. And I think they'll do that. And I think as a team, they're probably just at that time of their lives where they can be small, fight, do things without having a major plan of winning. Because whenever you have a major plan of winning then it becomes a whole different deal. Now, in qualifying, Alonso was about six-tenths off pole position off the Red Bull pace. It, I know it's a very, very difficult question, but how do you kind of break down that kind of gap? Where is the advantage Red Bull has in that? Where does Aston Martin need to work to improve that? And do you actually think that because there are points of difference on that car, there's a sign that there could be some development avenues for that team to push along where it could actually even close that gap. Dan Fallows has said two-thirds of the car will change over the course of the season. Now, slightly throwaway remark, but it, it does show they're intending to make plenty of aero surface changes over the year. So they clearly are looking forward rather than aiming just to hang on to where they are. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, six-tenths of a second behind uh, Verstappen and the Red Bull is one thing. You know, the reality of it is they were three-tenths behind uh, Sergio Perez in a Red Bull so that's a different deal altogether that three tenths of a second to Sergio you know I think we, we need to sort of um, classify Verstappen as something quite exceptional as far as his mentality of 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 winning and being successful you know he he just basically gets on with the job and he drives whenever he's given a set of tires and driving he does an exceptional job so I think we need to look a little bit further than that and as I say, just look at Perez and the Red Bull. Now, Perez was closer to, to Verstappen this, this weekend than, than quite a few times. So I think the car suits him that little bit better. And I've always said this, if they make the car suit Perez a little bit better, I think you could see Verstappen going better as well. Because, you know, he's never driven anything but what, what everybody else would classify as a very nervous car. It's always very much on the front end. Um, and, and, and he's accepted that because that's his, his career in Formula One. That's what he's driven 
Um, but I think whenever he gets a car that might just be able to carry more speed into the corner, he, he'll be the first guy to do that. So anyway, um, going back to Aston Martin, you know, three tenths behind Perez or four tenths as it was, you know, it's one of those sort of situations where that will that will give them a lot of motivation because you can you could see that, you know, the the six tenths so gets a little bit more difficult, um, but you could see that and you you will be pushing. The the thing is that you you can only look at yourself. I think. Aston Martin can only look at their performance and they can say if they really understand how the car works and how you get it driver friendly and Alonso can bring to them the the driver comments that means they can understand the car and they know the areas to pursue as far as getting more performance out of it then you know then that's what you can do you know changing all the aero panels in the world um, doesn't make you go faster you need to change them in the right direction and that's the thing they just need to make sure of, that they, they take the challenge, they see where they are. All these teams now have got fantastic GPS data. They can see every kilometre of every car, where they're faster, where they're slower, where their braking's better, where their acceleration's better, where the, the cornering speed's up, you know, one kilometre. You've got to look at all that stuff, and then you've got to make your decisions as to how you go about um, shutting down that gap. Uh, and that's, that's the individual team's job now to do that. Because they've got the data from from the first race, and two, you know, week and a half time they'll have the data from a second race, and so on. So, development is just about understanding where you are and taking it forward. There's nothing you can do with other teams. You know, Red Bull might find the magic bullet and find a second lap next week. You never know, but you can't do anything about that. So you've only got to look at yourself and say, right, okay, how do I make my car go faster? And uh, if somebody else makes theirs go faster than you did. So be it. You can't do anything about it, but you just got to keep on pushing. How do I make my car go faster and make those decisions correctly? One of the things that Dan Fellows has talked about with this team is that he feels they have managed to fuse that historic overachiever punching above its weight team with now a team that does actually have, in terms of the resource it's got, a decent amount of weight. That's a pretty difficult thing to do. Do you think where they are now? is the first confirmation that actually this team is going to achieve on its ambitions. We've heard lots of teams before talk about what they're going to invest, all this potential they've got, etc., and everything makes sense, but then it doesn't quite come together. But th- this feels quite a significant moment for this project. After, it has to be said, a couple of pretty difficult years since they rebranded as Aston Martin. Yeah, it has been a couple of difficult years. And, and through that building, that process, I suppose, they've, you know, they've got a bit hardened, they've got a bit stronger because you know that it can go badly on you as well as it can go well for you. So I think Dan Fallows is right in saying that they've been able to galvanize the impetus of, of new people and new experience into um, a team that punched, uh, was punching above its weight before. So if you can keep those two, the momentum of those two going, then that's that's really what you have to do. Because at the end of the day, it all has to work. You know, it's it's easy to say, oh, you know, like Verstappen and Red Bull were this weekend, we're out the front, you know, we can choose when we want to do a strategy. It doesn't really matter. The car's quick enough. It doesn't matter whether we go soft, 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 hard, hard, soft, you know, it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll do a good job. So um, the big thing for, for a team is to be able to dig deep when, when push comes to shove. And that's where the, we talk about the ex-Jordan group and, and Racing Point, you know, um, punching above their weight. Whenever they, they've always been fighting in the midfield or, or wherever in the, on the grid, they've always had to fight for everything they've got. So that can make you into a stronger team when you do like to get all the pieces of the jigsaw that make the whole thing work well. So 
what I what I'm saying really is that during this curve of of learning, they will come out the other end of it as a stronger team. And when they do get themselves to the point of being able to potentially win races, I think they can win lots of races because there will be a lot of depth and strength within them from fighting through the midfield and getting themselves back up there. So, you know, it's not easy. I'm, I couldn't guarantee by any means that Aston Martin will ever win a race. But at the end of the day, they look as though the trajectory it looks as though the trajectory is on the right the right path. Um, but it's this next probably this next year is going to be the big the big question: Can they adapt to the new factory and all the hype that's going to go with that, and not lose focus on on the real objective, which is the car? They need to make sure they don't lose sight of what they really need to achieve, which is success on the racetrack. But this strong start's got to help, hasn't it? Getting this podium early on, what does that do to a team, especially given they knew they had a car that looked very promising over the winter? I'm sure well, anyone who's worked for a Formula One team will have had this excitement that they think they've got a car that's really going to work well. And probably a lot of the time they get let down because Formula One's very difficult and there's more letdowns, I guess, than successes. But to go through that growing anticipation and then go through testing and see the promise and then bang, you've got a podium. And it should be added, a podium after what was actually quite a difficult race for Alonso in terms of had the contact with Stroll early on. So he had to do quite a bit of work to to get up there. So what, what does that do to a team to have that success? Well, yeah, that's really what I'm saying, I suppose, the depth in the team. Um, obviously, you can build a good car, you can design a good car and put it all together and it can be pretty decent. But then you have to sort of um, go through the, the sort of weekend running and, and achieve everything that you should do on the way there, um, which is you know, the longer runs, see the bit tire degradation, be ready when the qualifying starts, you know, have a setup that's quick. And, you know, we take it from testing, they were they were quick. And I suppose a few people were saying, oh, yeah, but they're running a lower fuel than, than we were or whatever. But come to a given race weekend, I think um, Alonso was obviously very good for them in the fact that he, you know, he's been there before. He's done that before. So there's no no big you know it's not a big ego trip for him to do well. He just he just gets on with his job. He knows what he needs to have and he knows what he needs to do to get there. I think whenever he was you know Alpine for the last couple of years, they probably really didn't listen to him that much. You know the the he was there and he was a good figurehead for them and that. But at the end of the day, they probably didn't listen to him. I think that the difference for him at Aston Martin will be they will listen to him. They will 100% listen to every word he says. Um, every time he blinks, they'll blink with him. And at the end of the day, that's what you need. You need confidence in what you're doing with the, with everybody. And as I say, they went through the whole weekend. They executed the weekend perfectly as far as they were ready for qualifying. They went out and qualifying. The car ran. Um, it you know They did the lap time. They qualified fifth, which maybe they, maybe they could have qualified fourth. Maybe they could, should have qualified seventh. But at the end of the day, they qualified fifth, which gives them a chance to fight for good points. And then in the race, you know, as I say, Leclerc had his problems and opened the door for him to to get on with the job, and he got third um, by passing uh, by passing Lewis Hamilton, Carlos Sainz. So, you know, and ex- executed a perfect weekend, and and that's what they got to not lose. You know, they got to not lose that bit, becoming dreamers of being winners. They got to be, be sure that they keep their feet on the ground and just stay stable. And, and the fact this is going to be a fight, but if we fight hard enough, actually, we can win. So don't go out to win, go out to fight. And if you fight hard enough, success will come. 
that's a good rallying cry for them to use. But certainly, it was the big story of the first weekend of the season, wasn't it? The former Aston Martin. I think it's going to be great to see how they get on this season. It's fantastic to see Alonso up there. And we saw the way he was battling in that race, not just waiting to use the DRS, but trying to force the issue was really spectacular to see. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you understand the value of asking questions. At Aramco, answering questions helps them engineer a better future. So if you'd like to know how something works in F1, please send us a question to answer on a future episode of this podcast. It can be on anything, F1, ancient or modern, or just some technical question you've always wanted to know the answer to. Either send a written email to podcasts at therace.com, or if you prefer, record a voice note. And remember to tell us who you are if you do that, that we can then play on the show. So send that to podcasts at the-race.com. Today's question is from Jeff Pinello from Connecticut, USA. Jeff says, I'm intrigued by the discussion of the Red Bull static rake as it applied to the pre-2022 cars, as well as the way they've managed to have that philosophy persist in the two most recent ground effect cars. Can you describe how the ride height and dynamic rake of the Red Bull is designed to change to deliver the downforce the driver needs at either end of the car at the various corner phases? You've mentioned at various times that the Red Bull's suspension geometry clearly emphasises pitch stability, so I'm interested how that all ties together. It seems like a Bermuda Triangle of understanding where only Adrian Newey has dared to send his team. Yes, well, there's a bit more than one question there, I suppose, but... Um you know the, the thing about racing cars, um, and let's just take a rear wing for example, as just as an example of what what aerodynamics can do. The rear wing, you know, you optimize that at a given angle, so it's got a, a camber on it, uh, and that's where it produces the level of downforce against drag that you want. If you just increase the camber on that wing, the the wing would would just stall because you're working it harder than the wing wants to. So you just can't just keep on piling it on. In other words, if you took a Monza wing and stood it sort of on its end to, to race at Monaco, it just wouldn't work at all. So that's that's like, like the rake of the car. If you take the underfloor of these cars, as it was pre, pre-2022, it had a large flat area and then a diffuser. But that, that flat area still produced downforce. You were still pulling airflow through there faster than the airflow across the top of it. So you've got a pressure differential across that floor and you're creating downforce with it. It was just that the diffuser was so small uh, and the floor area was so big that running the, the Red Bull rake philosophy meant that the whole floor of the car was as such a diffuser. The, the airflow expanded from the right at the front of the floor right to the to the kick point in front of the rear tyre and then up the diffuser. So you, you made the whole underflow of the car into an angled plane that was running relative to the ground um, and then to to make that work you had to try and stop the air leaking underneath the sides of the floor because obviously if you've got a low pressure underneath there and a higher pressure around it or on top of it that higher pressure will try to leak into that low pressure and reduce the downforce so all the bars board systems were all built to create vortices down the side of the car to help seal the floor so that it acted a bit like a, a skirt so you go into 2022 with the uh, new regulations. Um, the, the the underfloor now isn't a big flat floor. It's a it's a tunnel. It's a bit like the underside of a wing. The diffuser is bigger. Um, the floor has got what they call a throat area, so it's got a position for the lowest part of the fl- the, the floor, um, and it's got a leading edge feeding that floor, and it's got a trailing edge leading into the diffuser. But it's still the same. It's still a wing 
and you can increase the angle on that wing. But you need to make sure that whatever you're doing to that wing, that the center pressure of that floor doesn't move up and down the car too much. You need to have a sort of an underfloor balance that allows the, the, the car to produce the downforce from the underfloor and stay consistent so the driver knows where he is. Yes, you might want it to creep forward a little bit at, at uh, lower speeds. So as the car gets near closer to the ground at high speed, um, you want the, the, the center pressure to move rearwards that little bit. Um, so the rake will help you do that. If you've got uh, a floor sealing system, I suppose you might call it, that really seals very well at the low and medium speed corners, then you're producing the maximum downforce you can in those areas. And then as the car goes faster, you don't want to seal that floor anymore. Um, you want to, you know, not seal it less, but not seal it, not seal it as uh, efficiently. So in other words, normally the downforce uh, gener is generated by the square of the speed. Um, so you, you can't do that or it'll lead you to porpoise and the car will just generate so much downforce at high speed, it'll just be right on the ground. Uh, or else you have to run the car solid like a, like a Mercedes was last year. So you're tr trying to make sure that you seal the floor as well as you can in medium and, and low speed corners, but then not seal it any better at higher speed. And that's the trick really, so that you have a car with a center of pressure on the underfloor that stays fairly consistent um, and it just gives the driver confidence. So rake becomes a little bit of a play as far as that's concerned. If you put more rake in the car, you can get more front end at low speed. Um, but if you put more rake in the car, it can, the airflow can leak underneath the car easier. So it's a bit of a balance in that really as to how you can get the best out of the car at different speeds. But it is good if you've got something as a balance in that because then you can adjust it. If, you sort of, if you're stuck with what you've got, then you can't do anything with it. Whereas you, you need the tools in the toolbox to be able to adjust it to suit each circuit. So rake is just one of those little tools. Um, and what Red Bull have done and Adrian's done this year is, and last year is to create a suspension geometry that's got quite a lot of antis in it so that basically whenever you're braking uh, and or accelerating, you know, the car is always transferring weight to the front of it or back of it. Um, and really you don't want the car to be to move too much during that period. You want the car to stay as stable as possible because you're trying to make sure the aerodynamic platform stays as stable as possible. Um, so it's all a combination of the suspension geometry, the aerodynamic shift, the aerodynamic philosophy all working as one um, and that's I say that's what i think that's what makes the red bull good it all works as one it's all one package it's not individual components all bolted together and see what happens like some cars are and just to slightly broaden the question you've, you've kind of touched on it but obviously they were doing this with the pre-2022 cars with the high rate car and we know that one of the reasons they got the car so right last year was understanding how to run it how that interaction of the suspension characteristics and the and the aero and we also know adrian newey the bit he was most involved in in the design actual actual design of the car was suspension which surprises people but he's not just an aero genius he's a a car design genius it just so happens that aero has been the key thing but his real excellence to me always seems to be understanding the directions to go in to get the most performance from a given from a given set of regulations and i guess that's just an extension of it isn't it it's, it's understanding just the basic landscape of what you can play with and what area you need to put the car in to be able to manipulate these factors without asking too much of it or leaving performance on the table 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's the whole package, the whole car, I suppose, is a bit like a front wing. You know, you you if you if you have a front wing where you can put, you know, you got a bit of understeer, you can put a degree of angle onto it, and you get more front load, and that's that's what's supposed to do, and and vice versa. If you take it off, you end up with less front load, and so on. Um, but the problem is, if you've got a front wing where you put on a degree of front wing, and the car understeers more, then you sort of like scratch your head a little bit. So it's really about making sure that you know your aerodynamic profile that the car will go through whenever ride heights change and then you try and optimize that ride height for every given every given scenario so that you can get the best out of the aerodynamics by controlling it with the suspension a lot of, you know what is active suspension active suspension is just that it's exploiting the suspension to make to, to follow your aerodynamic profile you know you will if you had an active suspension car now you would you would probably increase your downforce, maybe increase your downforce by 20, 30% or something, because you know you could you could play around with the active suspension and keep it fairly stable, keep your aerodynamic platform fairly stable. But that's you know that's not allowed. So you have to do that mechanically. You have to know what you, you can achieve mechanically with the suspension. And then you have to build your aerodynamic profile within that uh, ability to to control it. So the two the two are very very much hand in hand. There's no one individual magic bullet on these cars. So aerodynamics and mechanical control is is critically important. Well, thanks very much, Jeff, for your question, and also Gary for your excellent answer as always. And remember, if anyone listening has a question on any F1 related technical topic, send your questions in to podcasts at theRace.com. That's podcast at the hyphen race.com. And as always, Gary, it's been fascinating to hear you talk. And great to have the Race F1 Tech Show back up and running. Remember, the show will be out every other week this year, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks just after the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix with more from Gary. You've been listening to the Race F1 Tech Show brought to you by Aramco. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. The Athletic.